Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're in our second episode, week two, 2021. But before we get began, I want to bring your attention to an email from me that you should have just received in your inbox. As you know, the FCC recently announced the winners of the Oz Hardy auction. And after a close review of the winning bidders, many have raised concerns regarding the proposed technology and the ability for the potential network designs to deliver promised performance. As a result, Congress is going to be sending a letter to the FCC urging close scrutiny of the long-form applications to ensure these bidders can deliver a network that will deliver the broadband performance being promised. In my email, I include a list of the members of Congress who have already signed on to this letter. Please look at that list, and if your representatives are not on that list, um, I gave some instructions how you can reach out to your congressmen and urge their offices to uh, request to sign on. So please do that. It's really important that you know rural America gets the broadband they're being promised. All right, so let's get back to our regular scheduled program. This morning, we're going to speak with Roger Tinneman and Kim McKinley of Utopia Fiber, and we'll be discussing lighting up Utah with open access fiber. Before I formally introduce Robert, uh, Roger and Kim, I'd like to introduce Garrett Sheehan from our team. We'll walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning to those who have joined us. I'm going to quickly go over a few logistical items. Please keep in mind that all participants are in listen mode only. To ask a question, please type it into the question box located within your control panel. We will host a Q&A session towards the end. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members on FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. We appreciate your input. I'll now pass it back to Gary to introduce our panelists and get us started. Thanks, Gary. And again, good morning and welcome everyone. I'm Gary Bolton, President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And today we'll be discussing lighting up Utah with open access fiber. So joining us today is the CEO of Utopia Fiber, Roger Tinneman and CMO, Kim McKinley. You know, Roger started as a network engineer at iProvo. He was the VP of engineering for uh, Vivint Wireless and the CTO of Utopia, probably not in that order, before becoming the CEO of Utopia. Kim is our co-chair of the Fiber Broadband Association's Electric Officials Working Group, and she has been the CMO at Utopia since 2010. You know, Utopia, other Wise known as the Utah Telecommunications Open Infrastructure Agency, consists of a group of Utah cities that have joined together to form an ultra-high speed fiber optic network to provide critical advanced communications infrastructure to their residents. So welcome, Roger and Kim. I know our audience is anxious to hear about your open access fiber model and about the amazing success you're having of lighting up Utah and beyond. So we definitely want to leave some time for Q&A. Uh, so let's jump right in. You know, for our audience, 
please type any questions um, you might have in the little box and uh, I'll collect those as we go and then we'll do some Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. So I'll turn it over to Roger and Kim. Well, thank you so much for having us, Gary, and the Fiber Broadband Association. And um, here we go. Um, how about I take this one, Kim, and then it'll let you go into the model. But um, let's I tag think... team, Roger. We got this. <laughs> okay. Well, you're on this side for me, so I'll, I'll tag you. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> Utopia Fiber. Right? I think it's important to understand uh, who we are, what we are. Because um, we're not a company. We're not out there selling anybody anything. You know, this was an effort that was started up by communities, and and we really uh, love that grassroots effort. The, you know, people coming together, uh, identifying a need. You know, these cities did not want to get into the broadband business, but they this was really something that was critical to them, and it wasn't being met uh, by the private sector, and and these cities didn't have the economy of scale. So if you look at this list of founding member cities. Uh, some of them are larger. There's three of them that are in the, in the top 10 in Utah, um, but there's also a lot of really small cities in rural areas. And, uh, you know, on their own, they would really not have been able to pull any of this together. But by partnership, uh, we were able to get a really good economy of scale and share resources. And so uh, we're like a, a municipal fiber network, except that we're lots of municipal fiber networks. And so we're a network of networks. Uh, and and uh, we, you know, we were owned by those cities. Uh, we serve our communities. We don't have shareholders or, or anything like that. We just reinvest uh, into these communities and pay off our debts. And and uh, things uh, didn't go very well initially, if you've heard about that. But things are going really well right now. Uh, and uh, we had an opportunity to expand and, and uh, got cities all over the place coming to us wanting uh, to join and partner with us. And we can kind of avoid the, the pitfalls and the risk and the economy of scale issues and the technology hurdles and the operational issues and the startup costs and all the other things and just allow new communities to piggyback off of uh, this initial system. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about these cities and, and how that's worked, but that's just, that's who we are. We're community owned, um, you know, local grassroots, but at the same time, it's a pretty big system. Uh, and so we're really proud and excited about it. So hit the next slide and I'll let Kim talk about how we do open access. So um, super, super um, interesting. If, for those who don't know what open access is, um, this is the official definition that I found on the interweb and the interweb, internet is never wrong. Um, open access is an arrangement in which one network is open to independent service providers. So what Utopia really is, is we're just the infrastructure and we enable uh, private sector companies to ride on our lines. Um, right now on the Utopia Network, we have 30 different residential providers um, from some really 13. small companies. 13, 30 sorry. business ones. 30 business ones, I can't, it's too early. Um, 13 uh, residential service providers with some new uh, to come in the next few months. And you have little mom and pops um, that started a long time ago to uh, the largest wireless uh, provider in the United States uh, who is on our network. And we have uh, over, as uh, Roger said, 30 different um, business providers. Um, but one point we always want to make, because this is a question that we get asked a lot, is that we always are welcoming the incumbents on our network um, if they elect to, to ride on our lines. Um, to this point, they have elected not to do so. So, uh, but we, we are welcoming them all. Um, and 
as you see, we're growing. Uh, this year alone, we've already added two new service providers on the residential side. So, and back to you, Roger. Next slide, Garrett. So uh, this is a slide that um, we kind of use it to maybe look like an airport. You know, that, that's an analogy that we use sometimes is that a city will put in an airport and it allows a lot of different airlines to come in and compete with each other. But none of them individually would be able to exist in a market uh, without a city putting in that infrastructure investment. And so similar to an airport and how that enables multiple airlines and competition, uh, we put in a fiber system and allow all these different companies to come in and use that. And if we didn't make that investment, put that fiber in place, none of these companies individually would be able to take on the capital you know, resources or needs uh, to invest in and finance and build out these networks. But we basically, we build that, we operate it, take care of it, we upgrade it over time. And the, these com companies have very small incremental costs to come on the system and offer services. And it's, it's really exciting. You know, some cities are big enough to attract a little bit of competition, not, not a lot. You know, even in most of our major markets, the options are pretty limited. But especially in these rural communities, it's amazing because, you know, we'll come into this little city with just a few hundred homes and they've got 13 companies competing to try to get that first customer in that rural city. Uh, and, and that's really an amazing uh, impact. So this works in big cities. It works in small cities. Um, it, it, it's really exciting model uh, for bringing competition where rural areas are typically used to not having any good options and maybe if they're lucky one um, we come in and add 13 options uh, to, to homes in these these rural and, and any community that we build these networks to so this is what we i think we have a different model when you hear open access when you hear open access you there's all these different models you have the huntsville um and google model um for us uh which is probably more close to Gary and where he lives over there. Um, but for Utopia, what, how we handle it is that Utopia has a direct relationship with the customer. Um, so when somebody signs up residentially, they pick their ISP, they have their Utopia charge, and then they, that's their total cost. Right now, a baseline customer on Utopia can get 250 meg symmetrical, all in price for $65. Um, and then they, the, base price for gig is about 75 and then our base price for 10 gig is um, around 200. But what, how we kind of explain this is that somebody picks Utopia, Utopia is a lead brand in the market, and then they pick what flavor of Utopia they would like. Because one of the issues that a lot of open access networks have, and we had in the past, is that people when they, it was only an ISP who is marketing, they didn't know that they had the, the ability to change. And we always want everybody in our market to understand the value proposition that we are bringing. And then I'll let Roger take take all the glory. I don't I don't think I should take this slide. This is your your customer satisfaction. Kim, you, you go ahead. This is this oh, is your stuff. Okay. So I, I think that Utopia has been growing um, in the past few years. And Roger, you can correct me. We've added four to five new cities um, with this, and we are still growing. Um, that we have, we are the highest rated provider in the state of Utah with a net promoter score of 64. 
um, and that we have a Google rating of a 4.5 with over 1,200 reviews. And if anybody's familiar, which I'm sure everybody on this webinar is, uh, the telecom industry is not really known for um, people loving their internet uh, provider or telecommunications provider. So we are very proud of that, and it is something that we work very hard to maintain. Um, but then I will pass this one back over to you because I think, uh, Roger, because I think since 2009, we've done a lot of good things uh, financially and we have a really good model um, that has seen a lot of success um, in the past 10 or so years. Yeah, so Utopia has done this incrementally. You know, uh, there's a lot of cities, a lot of different projects and, you know, we finance them in different ways or different tranches. And so we have some collective bonds. Uh, we have some city specific bonds um, you know some cities are uh, too small where you know your issuance costs and things like that would be ugly if you did them independently um, so there's a lot of benefit in these partnerships and uia the utah infrastructure agency actually holds all the debt we do the the bonds the debt the financing um, the public hearings you know those are fun um, you know we, we take care of all of that so really we just have a contractual uh, arrangement with the city uh, to basically say we're going to do what we promised we're going to do uh, and if if there's not enough revenues off of those systems there is a guarantee from those cities uh, we use that guarantee to go get a better bond rating some people say oh you use this guarantee to pay for it if there's a shortfall and it's like well there's that that's true but there's no shortfall so these new projects you know everything from since 2009 uh, has been totally sustainable meaning we we finance them, we build them, we get customer revenues, and those revenues are more than enough to cover all of the expenses of that project. And that's including all the debt service to pay off the bond, but also all of our operating expenses. And so we've got a, a really good track record. If it wasn't for the stuff before 2009, I'd be like, well, this is, you know, this is the perfect project. There's no, you know, there's never been any downside. And there's there's been some difficult times, but, you know, the internet was very different back in 2004. We didn't have YouTube and Netflix and, Facebook and all of those things. Um, and then now with remote education and telehealth and remote working and, you know, it's, it's just pushed this thing into a whole other category of, of essential service uh, and demand has skyrocketed. And so, you know, we're past those days of difficulty. We've got a really strong track record. We I think the actual transactions we've done are probably about 10. So we're like, we're 10 for 10 since 2009. So it's been really good. Um, the $50 million bond is just the next one. We've got one in the queue that we're closing on to finance uh, the continued growth of the system uh, this year, uh, maybe a little bit into next year. Um, so we're about $50 million per year and a half of, of construction, expansion of the system. And we'll go and do another round, continue to grow, add cities. We've got this list of new city partnerships at the bottom. Um, Layton was one of the original cities, but we, we you know, it was all incremental under our older model. And then we did a, a $23 million bond for the second half of Layton with the backstop from the city, same model we kind of mentioned. And uh, you know, a year, full year ahead of when we needed to start making payments on that bond, we put two years capitalized interest in there. Um, we had the revenues we needed, we covered that thing. We did a similar thing in Morgan, uh, but that was the whole city. It was a small rural city. And a full year ahead of when we needed to, we had all the revenues coming in. So on a you know ongoing basis, we were in great shape very early. Uh, Payson, uh, same thing. Uh, we're uh, you're kind of in in this. We're ahead of schedule. We're kind of at that point of breaking even on the on covering things, but we still have time before that debt service kicks in. Uh, in West Point, um, we're not there yet from a timing perspective, but we're way ahead of where we need to be by this time or where we expect it to be. Uh, so we're very confident that that one. You know, we claim victory there, even though 
technically the, the debt service hasn't begun yet. Uh, we've also done a partnership with Clearfield, which is much larger than uh, most of these, except for Layton. Uh, that's about a, a 30,000 population, I think about 10,000 households there. Uh, that's a great project. We're building very, very rapidly there. So um, it's uh, exciting to see that. But we have active construction going on in about six different cities right now. You know, we've, we do a lot in parallel. You know, that's one of the, the keys. You know, if you sit there and say, OK, I've got to get this project done and then I'm going to move to the next one you know you run into your permit issues and canal crossings and railroad issues and you know and it's you know so we've got a lot of flexibility in that we we do so much project in parallel we're able to continue to move forward and progress even when we run into some some uh, those permitting obstacles which are just killer sometimes so, yeah so roger let me point out some stuff i think you you almost missed is one thing that's really exciting about this new $50 million bond that um, we are about to take out is that we already have the revenue to cover those, the debt service payments on that bond, which I think is huge. But like, like this is something that I, I like to reiterate over and over again, but since 2009, um, all of these bonds have been paid for, all of the bonds that Utopia has been paid um, for are being paid back by subscriber revenue um, and not hitting any taxpayers' dollars, which I think is one of the what people when they talk about municipal networks they always say well it's going to be a burden on the taxpayers our projects are not have and have not been a burden on the taxpayers since 2009 would you agree with that roger and we can turn to the last page and i i here you go no you got this kim okay so i mean i just wanted to these are just some of the things is the utopia fiber is the fastest growing municipal network in the country um developing new partnerships um, and we we are continuing to develop new partnerships throughout the country. Um, like Roger, and I don't think Roger mentioned this on his first slide, but we, Utopia Fiber is not just in Utah. Uh, we are absolute, absolute, an operational partner um, with Idaho Falls Fiber up there. They just hit their um, thousandth customer and growing incredibly fast. And if you don't know where Idaho Falls is, it's right next to uh, Ammond, Idaho. Um, but yeah, so Idaho Falls is, is, is partnered with us, so that's exciting. But in 2020 alone, uh, Utopia had a landmark year. Uh, we put in 1.7 million feet of conduit um, and 1.4 million of cable was placed, and we added 10,200 customers. We are totally at a, a customer, a sub base of over 35,000 and growing tremendously fast. Um, and we added two more cities in the middle of the pandemic and two more ISPs. So um, we are we are growing incredibly fast and it's an exciting project and an exciting industry to be a part of right now. So that's it for us, Gary, in our lovely presentation. So what are you going to throw at us now? Now, this is uh, a really exciting and, um, you know, congratulations on your tremendous success. Um, the questions are flying in. so. Uh, I think this is a, a hot topic. Um, so one of the first questions that came in is, uh, so why haven't any incumbents uh, chosen to use your infrastructure? Uh, they uh, they really like being the monopoly. You know, be, being the monopoly is is good for one one entity, and that's the monopoly. It's not good for anybody else. But uh, you know, they don't like the idea of coming in in a competitive environment, and and I think they're. You know, there's a couple of problems. They legitimize the model of open access, um, but uh, yeah, they just, you know, we. I, I think there's a compelling case for them to say we should participate once they've lost the market. <laughs> but, but as a monopoly provider, you know, they don't have a lot of interest in uh, promoting more of it. 
uh, more competition. That we haven't had a monopoly in our area, but we have had monopolies in other areas reach out um, before and say, um, show some interest if they want to compete because they don't want to build, if they don't have the infrastructure, they might be more um, willing to join on our network. Yeah, multiple yeah. providers on our system are ILEX in territory that's not our territory, right? So in our territory, they're a competitive provider, but they're an ILEX in another territory. Got it. But they're, they're the more smaller rural companies. Yeah, I mean, as Kim mentioned, you know, we have, we didn't have any uh, gigabit service in Huntsville until Huntsville Utilities put in with Google Fiber. And now I have four uh, fibers across my yard with, you know, all the incumbents, the cable companies and the incumbent telcos all immediately put fiber in as soon as Google and Huntsville Utilities put in. So. Um, you would like to spread out the wealth to some other areas instead of having it all across my front yard. But uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So the the other question is, um, and I had this question as well. So the model in Huntsville here is Huntsville Utilities brings it to the pedestal, and then Google takes it from the pedestal and the drop to the home. And you know, what's your model? How, do you pull the fiber to the home, or do you? Where's your handoff? Yeah. Your so device? so in contrast to Huntsville, like Huntsville is more just a public-private partnership, but we don't really consider that open access because other providers uh, don't participate, right? It's a single provider system. And, and I know Huntsville's made it available to others, but the practicalities of connecting, you know, where you have, you know, a fiber to a node and you deal with GPON splitters and all that other stuff. It's like, really, there's, there's, it's not practical to have multiple providers on a system that doesn't go to the home. Uh, and so uh, our system, we go all the way to the home. We install uh, fiber, you know, right into the house. We put in a demarcation switch there or a, an ONT, but it's all active Ethernet and dedicated connections. That's another key point is, you know, we we have to make sure a, a circuit or a service that we sell to a service provider, you know, they're, they're our customer too, right? And they need to be assured that they're getting a dedicated connection to their customer and that if their neighbor with a different service provider is, is you know, a bandwidth hog, that they're not impacting each other. And so, you know, we don't do any pawn in our system. It's all active. Um, you know, uh, open access is very common in Europe and, and so is active ethernet, you know, very common yeah. in Europe because uh, open access and, and uh, point to point or active ethernet go, go very well together. Not to say you couldn't do it with GPON, you just run into oversubscription and sharing problems with it. All right, yeah. All right, unless you do NGPON2 or something like that, where you can use different wavelengths and so forth. Uh, yeah, I was one of the questions. Yeah, I mean, we're we're offering a 10 gig service today, on, you know, and it's like, I, you know, it's 10 gig Ethernet's been around for 10 years, right? And, and NGPON is just, it's kind of like, well, there there's someday we'll have the ability to offer 10 gig over PON. And, and so it's, it's kind of playing catch up with Ethernet, but, uh, you know, it, it is a future technology that's coming down the pipeline that will help with PON networks. So you guys own the ONT, you own the, the, the residential gateway. Uh, do you guys offer a, some kind of cloud Wi-Fi service or anything like that? No, we've, we've steered away from Wi-Fi and, and let the service providers differentiate themselves a little bit in the Wi-Fi space. So uh, that's an area where providers can provide support, the recommendations. We do offer some recommendations for Wi-Fi uh, routers and things, but you know the life cycle of Wi-Fi is about three years. Uh, and so we're not real excited to be out there replacing you know, our hardware. And so 
you know, a lot of these ONTs have built-in Wi-Fi, and I'm like, I never want to have Wi-Fi built into our ONT because then I got to go replace that thing every three years. Uh, and so we got about an eight-year to ten-year life cycle on Ethernet, uh, which is nice. So you know, we put in, we have replaced a generation. You know, we started out with 100 meg ONTs into the homes, and we've replaced those with gigabit, uh, and then we have 10 gig as well uh, for for uh, those you know power users. Um, but but we don't, you know, we have customers we've installed and not been back for 10 years, right? Uh, whereas when you introduce Wi-Fi into the picture, uh, you that's a lot more high maintenance and and a, a shorter life cycle. Great. The uh, other question came in. You had mentioned that um, you know when Utopia first got off the ground, it had some issues. Uh, so who turned that around? What was the biggest change that was made? So how did how did that all come about? It was all Kim. You know, you can you can just see it right when she got hired. <laughs> I mean, I would like to say that I did get hired in 2010. And when did Utopia start turning around? Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. But go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of a lot of things. I mean, there were there were a lot of mistakes made in the earlier years. Um, there was opposition. I mean, we had legal opposition from Quest at the time, and and you know, so we had you know lawsuits. The internet itself, it was very different. Uh, so I, I think a combination of, of uh, city leadership that was involved with the project, uh, turning things around, the staff that was hired has been phenomenal and making good choices. Uh, you know, we've been incredibly efficient uh, in, with uh, our operations and keeping our costs under control, which is obviously an area that, that a lot of networks can struggle with. Um, and so, yeah, I think 2009, 2010 was that kind of turnaround time. And uh, it was kind of very helpful that as we were fixing things from a network and technology perspective and an operational perspective, the demand skyrocketed and has stayed, you know, consistently strong since that time and, and continued to grow. Uh, and obviously more customers and more demand for fiber is very good for us. And Roger, I'm going to like toot my own horn here. but. I think one of the things is we took on more of a marketing role as well um, in those in about 2010 before we really let the ISPs market. And I always say this and I say it over and over again. And Gary, you've probably heard me say it is that you don't let your revenue stream be dictated by a third party. You take more ownership of your revenue stream and how it's coming in and the customer experience. Um, and that is when we really started developing a direct relationship with the customers and making sure to ensure that our ISPs were being held accountable for their customer experience and being able to help customers if they needed to change. Um, we have a fully staffed customer service department, which I don't think a lot of people would view an open access network as a as the infrastructure would have a fully staffed uh, customer service department. Yeah, just on that point, that was one of the questions I had was, then um, I get a lot of this when I'm talking to different communities on taking you know, um, a trouble call. So how do you work that out? Is it, you know, is this your problem, the ISP problem? You know, so the call comes to Utopia first and then who figures that out? So it, we all, all, if it's a service issue, we always ask the customer to call the ISP first. Um, my standpoint from my team, who the customer service is under me, if the ISP doesn't deliver on that, we take care of it. Because um, we have more revenue at stake every month um, for their $65, how much share that we get of that money. Um, so we always take care of the customer at the end of the day. Um, so, but we we try to to direct all those customers. So if they call us and we know it's a service issue, we we would do a warm transfer to the ISP. Um, we very much view uh, our uh, relationship with the ISP as partners. 
um, in this. I do not, like one thing that I will not let stand um, is that it's the back and forth of the blame game um, from an ISP and the telecommunications. Uh, we are going to get this taken care of. And the it, yeah, one of the questions came in is, do you provide both wholesale managed service or dark fiber or both? Both. Both. And then you already talked about Utacity, not uh, Pond, so that was one of the questions. Um, so, and this kind of go back to the incumbents, but um, so how have the incumbents reacted to your success? Uh, false marketing. <laughs> There's a lot of lies out there about us. <laughs> you know, they, I mean, they still go door to door telling people there's going to be liens and long-term contracts and huge installation fees, and, you know, and, and that existed 10 years ago, but it's been a long time. And, 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 you know, so we do a lot of work to try to correct misinformation that's being spread. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they donate to every single political campaign in the state, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of lobbying that we're up against with them. And, so they, I don't know, that they're difficult to deal with. I mean, any city looking to get into this needs to anticipate serious opposition politically uh, and from a lobbying perspective and misinformation campaigns from the incumbents. Um, you know, they haven't responded by improving their service, which is surprising. You know, they think that they'd, they'd upgrade all their services and drop the prices, but we still are incredibly competitive compared to what their incumbent offerings are. Roger, can I, I just want to mention this story. I think it's one of the funniest stories that ever happened that I've heard is that our former CFO, um, he knew we were building in his neighborhood at that time, and he had an incumbent door-to-door uh, -door come to his door and tell them that it was their service that they were building fiber down the road. And he actually chased them down the street and told them to stop lying because it was actually Utopia and not the incumbent. But I mean, those are kind of the, the dirty tactics that some will play. Um, to try to convince people uh, to sign up for long-term contracts with their service. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that um, there's lots of great stories, uh, positive stories about incumbents and, and so forth. So um, just in fairness, I don't want yeah. to make it. No, and I think that there are they, they, yeah. there are some good stories. There, it's it's just all kind of funny, fun and games sometimes to hear all the different sides of it. Uh, we we support you know as Fiber Robin Association, we embrace incumbents, we embrace. Um, all emerging providers. So anybody that's putting fiber out um, there, we, we, we like them. Uh, and the Utopia model, uh, does the service providers perform the install and activation? You said you did that, right? And then you said that the service drop, you guys do. Um, okay, also here's good. This must come from the technology committee. Are you operating just at the physical layer or do you manage the bit pipe uh, to the end customer layer two, active ethernet? Sounds like you do that. Layer two. So we provide a, you know, we, we run an MPLS network as our architecture, but we give the service providers uh, VPLS services or e-pipe services, or uh, you, we can do virtual routed instances. You know, there's a lot of things we can do um, with our platform, um, but generally it's just a layer two circuit from the service provider to each of their customers. And then a, a question, um, you know, you're doing active Ethernet, so that's point to point. So, are you only building point to point, or do you do any other network designs? Well, it's we we support a lot of things, right? We've got a lot of enterprise customers. We have school districts. We have, you know, so our our basically it's a carrier Ethernet platform. So when when you run talk about Ethernet, uh, you know, enterprise Ethernet and uh, carrier, you know, pr products, you know, we offer carrier Ethernet 
products to residential customers, right? So a service provider can come in and say, well, I want a VPLS service, or I want a whole bunch of e-pipe services, or how about just VLANs, or how about Q&Q services? You know, can, can you support that? Can you? And we, and we pretty much support all of that because we do run uh, in a, on a carrier Ethernet platform. Um, so, you know, we whenever a provider comes in, you know, we have a lot of sit-down conversations and pull out all the geeks, and we, you know, we work through, you know, how do you want this thing configured? Um, with a, you know, you say, hey, a layer two network, it has lots of vulnerabilities and problems, and we've mitigated that. We've got a lot of uh, controls and configurations and filters and things like that that uh, protect a layer two environment from you know rogue DHCP and network loops and all those you know things that happen. So it's it's actually a very mature platform for fiber to the home and uh, is incredibly reliable. Um, and so it's it's just we do have customizations uh, on a provider by provider basis and we and even uh, for certain customers, especially on the enterprise side of things, we can do. Uh, pretty much anything that they want well i hate that we're um, out of time because there are a million questions here obviously this is a very uh, interesting topic to our audience so uh, we will send you you know roger and kim the questions and you know you can reach out to answer because i know these are all really big questions you know from my perspective i'm just really impressed that you really have this model seem to have it really honed and the fact that you could turn up west point in 15 months and be able to uh, add subscribers and generate revenue ahead of the debt service just kind of mitigates all the risk for a community. It's so uh, congratulations, that's really impressive. Thank you for having us on. Thanks. And thank you to the Fiber Broadband Association. Yeah, we really appreciate, you know, Kim, your, all your uh, contributions to the Fiber Broadband Association. Roger, again, um, you know, just great industry leadership and we really appreciate you sharing the Utopia story. Um, so for everyone else, uh, thank you guys for joining us uh, Fire for Breakfast. And next week, we're going to be discussing uh, the obstacles to way, the Nevada City journey to get rural broadband with John Paul, the CEO of Spiral Internet. This is another great story, and uh, I, I hope you guys can all join us. So uh, thanks, Roger and Kim, and we'll see you guys all next Wednesday.